Welcome to Students Over Systems, a podcast that celebrates education freedom. I'm your host, Jenny Gentles. At Students Over Systems, we talk with the creators, advocates, and beneficiaries of education freedom. On today's episode, we're focusing on empowering parents and improving education in Oklahoma. For this important conversation, we're joined by Ryan Walters, the Oklahoma Superintendent of Public Instruction. He previously served as Oklahoma Secretary of Education and taught high school history. He's also the father of four young children. Superintendent Walters, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, really appreciate you having me on and appreciate the work you're doing for parents across the country. Well, we love highlighting leaders like you who prioritize students over systems. And for today's conversation, I want to dig right into some of the entities that are not doing that, and that would be teachers unions. But uh, never fear, listeners, we of course also want to talk about education freedom and school choice and some exciting developments in Oklahoma. Uh, So let's start before we talk about teachers unions. Let's start with your background. You taught high school in rural Oklahoma. What was your favorite aspect of being a teacher? You know, my favorite part of being a teacher is, you know, I I was one of those kids. I had this incredible experience uh, with a history teacher when I was in high school that, I mean, made history come to life. I started to see, you know, lessons that could be utilized from history in the world today. I really identified with some of the figures that we learned about in history. And so I wanted to be able to do that for young people, to really use history as a way to let them appreciate American principles and let them see themselves in history and let them see the lessons that come from history. And so, you know, that's what really got me excited about getting into the, um, the uh, profession and working with young people. And, you know, I, I was, I was one of those teachers. It was funny for me because when I graduated from college, I went back to my hometown. So I went back to teaching with the teachers that taught me. And so it was an incredible experience and to be able to work with young people, to be able to see those moments where history came to life. And to be able to really hold young people to high academic standards. And some of my favorite memories are kids that struggled, kids that were behind, kids that didn't think they could take my course because I offered the hardest course in our school, that came in and did well, learned those lessons of what hard work um, can bring, but also saw in themselves what their potential was. And there, there's nothing like helping young people achieve their their potential. It is, it is un, an unbelievable experience, and I absolutely loved every minute of it. Well, one thing that we're trying to do here at the podcast, at the Education Freedom Center, at Independent Women's Forum, is distinguish between classroom teachers like you, who are passionate about students, passionate about the subject that you taught, um, really dedicated educators, and unions, teachers' unions. Uh, You make that distinction very clear. You have said that unions are just about money and power. I believe that you've actually referred to them as a terrorist organization as well. But what do you mean when you say that teachers unions, not classroom teachers, are just about money and power? No, and I and I appreciate um, your comments there because it's an important distinction to make. Teachers largely get into the profession to empower young people through academic value to allow them to achieve their God-given potential. Teachers unions, on the other hand, are solely there to get money from teachers, then leverage that money to achieve a power position where they bully and intimidate legislators, other teachers into getting more money from them, school school board presidents, superintendents, and frankly, attacking parents directly to get them out of a kid's education. They fight school choice. They fight parents' rights. And what we've seen, frankly, from the broader teachers union organization, the NEA, is a um, 
dedication to achieving Marxist ideals in our education system. They have advocated for graphic uh, graphic pornography in the classroom. They've advocated for uh, topics like um, um, transgenderism in the earliest grades in in, in elementary school. These are things that are broadly rejected, not only here in Oklahoma, but across the country as inappropriate for kids. We need to be focusing on academics over indoctrination. We need to be focusing on every kid's individual ability, not simply a system that brings money and power and influence to a union that is not advocating for kids. And then frankly, to even further show this uh, distinction, they don't even advocate for teachers well. Here in our state, we launched a merit pay system where teachers could make up to six figures. The teachers union opposed it. We launched the largest teacher recruitment program in the nation where we paid teachers up to $50,000 for signing bonuses. The teachers union was against it. So they don't even advocate... Really, for teachers, what they advocate for is a power position to grow their influence. So do you think the parents in Oklahoma realize this? Like when we see polling about unions, I sometimes wonder if they recognize that we're talking about unions, not teachers. Like are parents waking up to the fact that there is this power hungry machine that is not at all representing that classroom teacher, that second grade classroom teacher that they love? that is harming their students? Yes, I I think that you've seen the public wake up um, a lot to this since 2020. I think when COVID hit and we saw the shutdowns and we began to see other businesses going back to work, other businesses that were requiring in-person labor and then schools continued to hold out. Parents at first, you know, were, you know, trying to figure it out like, okay, well, can we not make schools safe? Can we not do this? And as long as time went on, it was obvious Yes, schools were safe to come back to, but the teachers union was trying to leverage shutdowns to get a ransom payment from the federal government before they return to work. And so this really, especially in Oklahoma, um, um, catalyzed, uh, you know, parents to say, look, they are the source of the problem. We knew that it was safe to go back to school, but yet they're going to continue to wait. And again, it really started a lot of conversations where, frankly, my my kids had a teacher in a public school that was literally hand delivering assignments to every kid every single day when school was shut down and was telling us, I miss these kids so much. It breaks my heart to not be with them every day. But parents started to hear stories like that from teachers and then see the difference between their mentality, what they wanted, and their union bosses that were literally advocating for schools to remain shut down one year, two years into the pandemic when everybody else was back to work. And by the way, they could care less about the stories from parents. I had parents, I, you know, I met one lady in a, in a, uh, a, a uh, you know, it was a grocery store that recognized me and just broke down talking to me about, you know, I don't know what to do with my children my boss told me if I don't return to work and if and if I've got to come to work without my kids, there's no place for my kids at my work, they'd fire me. And I don't know what to do. I don't want to leave my kid at home. I don't have really any other good option here. And it was heartbreaking to hear these stories. But the teachers union, they didn't care. They wanted money. And that's why they continue to advocate for school shutdowns. Another thing that I've heard you say is that this is a war for the souls of our kids. So if we're talking about a war, we need to be clear on who the enemies are. Are you referring to the unions when you're when you're talking about that war? What, what do you mean by that? Yes. So teachers unions, the Biden administration, 
the Department of Education, the Federal Department of Education, um, these left left wing activist groups that continue to target parents. A lot of these are funded by George Soros money, by these radical leftists that come in and try to box parents out. They are so nasty in the way that they target parents. And, and they really are just advocating for a system that does not create thinkers, but creates mindless voters that will continue to promote their worldview, which is a Marxist worldview. What you see from the parents' perspective is, look, I want my kids not to be told, you know, to learn how to think, not to be told what to think. I want my kid to be an intelligent member of society who can navigate the world around them, understand what makes America great, be a great citizen, but also be able to go get a good job, have a great quality of life. And so you see how different these two perspectives are, and you see how far the left is willing to go to target and destroy parents and anyone who doesn't agree with their worldview and to indoctrinate kids. We've got to stand for our children. We've got to understand that the left will stop at nothing to control our kids' minds. And really, that's when you look at this from a perspective of it is a spiritual war. It's a war for the minds and the souls of our kids. When our side wants to empower children through an education, open their minds, let them continue to learn and, and, and lead to a more quality, a higher quality of life. And the other side doesn't want them to learn. I mean, here in Oklahoma, we've done things like we launched Prager University, made it available for every school in the state and for parents to utilize at home. And we've got the left that is so mad and angry about a five minute video to introduce kids to the founding fathers, to introduce them to some of the great presidents and individuals in our history. Why? They don't want an open conversation or a, a broader worldview. They only want their indoctrination being pushed. And we've got to win this war. Let's talk a little bit more about some of that indoctrination over academics that's happening in classrooms. I've heard you talk about books and your concerns about some of the books. Um, that's not just indoctrination that we're talking about there. We're also talking about putting sexually explicit content in front of children, often young children. Uh, what are what are your concerns about books in classrooms and li libraries in Oklahoma? And what steps are you taking to address this? So we have seen a concerted effort on the left to sexualize kids, indoctrinate kids. And, and we have seen the troubling results of these um, efforts. We've seen kids that are more confused than ever before. We see a mental health issues that are going on in education like we haven't seen before. We've seen kids that have much better understanding of radical gender theory and the ideology that we have 27 genders rather than understanding the basics of math, reading, science, and history. And so what we've done here in Oklahoma is, first of all, we passed rules that said you can't have any kind of sexually explicit material in our schools, period. We saw books like Gender, Queer, and Flamer being pushed in our schools. We had some school administrators saying, hey, this is about us being inclusive. So we're going to continue providing access to these graphic porn, uh, these graphic pornography to our kids. And so we've pushed back on that. We've made that illegal here in the state. We also passed a parent's bill of rights that says, listen, any kind of sexual conversation about transgenderism or any kind, any kind of sexually explicit material, you have to talk to the parent first. You have to get their permission. Because again, what we saw is not only the books, we've also seen textbooks that have been injecting critical race theory, transgenderism, all of these concepts that frankly have nothing to do with the subject matter they're supposed to be learning about. 
recently here in the state, we told our, our textbook vendors, um, listen, we are not going to allow any textbooks in the state that push these radical ideologies. And we had eight textbook companies pull out of our application process. It's like, well, if the bar is too high for a math book uh, publisher to ensure that they're not indoctrinating our kids with CRT, uh, transgenderism, SEL, all of these concepts, well, then they can go somewhere else. And I told them, you know, you can better luck with Gavin Newsom in California because we are not going to allow our kids to be social experiments here in the state of Oklahoma. I want to see our kids that have the highest math proficiency, reading proficiency in the country. That's what our goals are. We don't we don't care to allow you know left wing advocates to enter into our classrooms and pervert the learning process. So we've got those rules in place. We're holding individuals accountable that break the law here and push indoctrination by pulling teaching certificates of those who willingly violate state law. We've also held schools accountable through their accreditation. We had a district that was teaching all of their teachers to talk about critical race theory in every lesson. Well, they got their accreditation downgraded um, because they were not following state law. We're going to continue to hold folks accountable and make sure that our education system is back on track. Well, this is a reminder that I think we all need in the country that all this stuff isn't just happening on the coast. This is not just California or Virginia where I live. This is Oklahoma as well. I mean, for a district to be teaching all their teachers to teach in all their lessons, these radical ideologies, like this shows how, how far all this has come. Um, and I think it also shows what the unions have been pushing and then also what's pushed on the teachers as they're going through the, the teacher training pipeline and something that we have to be really vigilant about. I want to go back to uh, what you're doing to empower parents. I, I, I know that transparency for budget, for curriculum is really in, important for you. Um, and then also parent notification policies. You are taking steps to ensure that districts aren't hiding secretive gender transitions from parents. Are, are you seeing that happening in Oklahoma? Again, is that not a coastal issue as well? So, you know, that's one of the things that I think for your viewers, uh, it's, it's so important for them to understand. This is happening in the reddest of red states. Here we are in Oklahoma. We have a teachers union that still has tremendous power in our state legislature still continues to bully and intimidate teachers, legislators, um, uh, other elected officials as well. And so we literally, when we passed our rule that said that you had to tell parents before entering into one-on-one -on -one conversations with kids about changing their gender, we had a parent come testify at our hearing who said, listen, I'm a Democrat, I'm not, not a conservative, um, but I want to tell you the story of my daughter. My daughter was talking to a school counselor who not only had talked to her about changing her gender, told her she should not tell me because I, her mother, would not understand, and then helped her develop a plan to run away from home. My daughter had her bags packed, was ready to run away from home, and had an emotional breakdown and told me the whole story about what had been occurring and how she was coached by this counselor to hide it from me and run away from home. This is in Oklahoma. And we had this this Democrat that was coming to our, our our hearing to ask us, we I want you to continue with this rule. I want you to approve it so that no parent has to deal with a situation like I dealt with. It was a powerful testimony. And what you see here is even in red states, we have the school counselors association that have pushed this type of nonsense to go on with kids without parents' permission. You have unions that actively push for these kind of conversations to occur. You have a directed push, and it's very strategic, to utilize the term inclusiveness 
to push the most radical theories our kids have ever been exposed to. And I think it's essential, you know, before I was in this elected office, my predecessor was a Democrat. Even when we would pass laws that were to help parents' rights, she was not pushing them from the agency to hold people accountable. So schools knew they could continue to do this without any kind of accountability from the State Department of Education. Since I've come in, we have made a huge seismic shift that we will absolutely hold schools accountable to parents to ensure that their kids are getting a great education and not being indoctrinated. I wasn't planning on talking about this today, but I just want to put a shout out to the public policy students out there. If you're getting your MPA or master's in public administration, um, go work at a State Department of Education. You can have such an impact in so many policy areas and in, in, in the culture of your state, in the academic future of students um, and, and, and then their future in the workforce in, in your state. Um, Superintendent Walters, like what, per, what percentage of your state budget is, uh, is allocated for, for education? It's a significant chunk, right? Yeah, in, in well, states. Yeah, we're over 50%, you know, 53% of our overall budget. So you look at that and to your point, I loved your shout out there because when you look at what you can do with an education system, and this is what I've told, <clears throat> what I told all Oklahomans, because we cannot continue to make excuses for poor performance in our schools. We invest billions of dollars, more than half of the state budget. We literally, as a state, control the standards. We control who can teach. We control um, the different standards and material and assessments to see how kids are learning. So much is controlled by the state government, we can make changes in place to help improve student outcomes. And again, you've seen so many people in education who have missed the boat. Instead of trying to give the ultimate power to parents and families and build out an education system that is centered around the belief that no one knows better for a kid than their mom and dad, that God didn't give kids to government, that God gave kids to parents, and starting with that premise and building out an education system that is reflective of that in every way. Instead, we've allowed academics to come in and believe that they can socially engineer kids to success. It's wrong. The worldview is wrong. So what we've got to do is move an education, our education systems back to believing in the family, strengthening the family, doing all that we can to make sure that schools are reflective of family values, community values, that's how you get these education systems back on track. And that's what we've got to continue to do. And that's why I'm encouraged at the progress we've made here in Oklahoma. Well, you've also made progress on the education freedom on the school choice front. So let's end with the good news in Oklahoma. Actually, I think that we've been weaving in a, a lot of good news as far as like acknowledging the problems and taking steps to to address them. But a huge step that you've taken in Oklahoma is passing uh, a parental choice tax credit that is um, about to be implemented. Uh, what's the tax credit and what is it offering Oklahoma families? Yeah, no. And just to be clear, you know, for all states out there, you have to have universal school choice. Have to. There is nothing that you can do inside education that will truly empower parents, that will truly get the most out of every child, that will truly place incentives in an education system that has been so void of free market incentives than to provide universal school choice. You have to do it. It's a battle. It's a fight. But it is one of the most meaningful battles you can win. And so here in the state, what we've done is we have a fully refundable tax credit. So it's on the front end. So kids can go apply to a private school and they get the tax credit before they go to school. So that way they don't have to front the money. We wanted it to be fully accessible to all students, no matter what their economic background might be. 
And again, it goes to private schools. So they have uh, the tuition paid for through private schools, but they also have homeschooling tax credit available as well. So if parents want to homeschool their kids, hey, we're a state that we advocate for that. If you have the ability and you want to homeschool your child, we want you to be able to do that. We want families to be tight knit. So our tax credit can be both used for private schools, Christian schools, and homeschooling so that we've got a lot more opportunities for our kids. And we're excited to hear the stories of folks and what their plans are for this launch January 1st. We've already talked to folks that are trying to start micro schools and start these other opportunities. And again, to truly transform an education system, to being about the individual child, to truly empowering parents, to truly gain academic success, you have to have the free market system that school choice provides. Right. And certainly studies show that when you inject that kind of choice, uh, the public school system improves as well. They have to step up and compete for the for those students and and they start centering their actions more on students rather than systems. There's more that could be done uh, to continue to improve the public system. But we um, we want we want all students to to thrive in in these environments. All right. So you guys are ahead of the game. Um, There's already a parentalchoice.ok.gov website where parents can find out more about this, uh, this tax credit. And as you mentioned, it can be the parents can take that uh, tax credit funding and apply it to private school tuition. They can also use a smaller amount for homeschooling expenses. Um, what are you hearing from from parents and from um, people who are excited about this option? Oh, my goodness. I mean, parents are thrilled. Um, there are so many parents that have tried to find other opportunities for their kids that now say, listen, I, I can finally get my kid into the school that I knew, I knew the school would provide a better environment for my child. Or I knew the school that offered this program that my child would love to be a part of. And again, when you talk about educational freedom, it's the true understanding that there, there's, there's the micro and there's the macro, right? The macro level is you are truly creating a system that provides incentives. I was just talking to a, a business leader here yesterday and he kept asking me, I don't understand how when we find best practice in education, why it's not duplicated like it is in business. I said, well, because we haven't had a free market system. We haven't had until now with the injection of school choice, there's been no incentives for schools to make these type of innovations and reforms. And now you're going to provide an environment for, the, for them to do so. So as you pointed out, the macro level is the entire system improves, both your public schools, private schools, Christian schools, charter schools, they all improve. But the second part, the micro part, which is really what is so special about it, is the educational freedom truly empowers parents in a way that not only gives them choices and options, but it also truly gives them the ability to say, I am the driver of my kid's education. I want to find out more. I want to be more involved. I want to learn about what these schools are offering because now I have the ability to choose. Before that, when you don't have freedom, it's like, well, I mean, this is I live here. My kid goes to school here. Uh, what am I? I mean, what, what's the point in even digging in and investing into what is out there? Because I can't choose those things. Once you start allowing this, parents not only are looking at other options, they're doing deeper dives in their own school. Is this really what's best for my child? And with that added parental involvement, you're going to see tremendous improvement in student successes. And you're going to see happier kids. You're going to see kids that go, listen, mom and dad are a part of this. They're getting to know my school. We have the ability to get into a better environment. This promotes family values, which is so important in society today. 
I'm excited to see all of this uh, be implemented in Oklahoma and to hear the stories about about families, but in particular students thriving in their new educational environments. Our last question on students over systems is always, what is the myth about education freedom that bothers you the most and that you want to dispel today? Yeah, you know, probably the one that bothers me the most is that it doesn't work in rural areas or it hurts rural schools. Look, I came from a rural town. I was a rural public school teacher. Um, my, my heart is very much in rural areas. And, and that's absurd. School choice provides opportunity to both to all areas, rural, suburban, urban. And we've seen it. We have some rural charter schools in the state of Oklahoma, and they're doing a great job. We have a lot of rural private schools in the state of Oklahoma. We have one of the rural, oldest rural private schools west of the Mississippi here in Oklahoma. We're very proud of these schools. And again, what you begin to see is as you start to peel it back, the left has tried to make arguments that are just nonsensical. In rural Oklahoma, more choices are good for our kids. More choices provide opportunities for rural kids. I want to give one example really quick about this. As I was out campaigning, I went to Clinton, Oklahoma, really small town. I was talking into a room about school choice options and how it's a benefit there. I had some public school administrators that were arguing with me about it. And I had a farmer in the back of the room and he stood up and said, let me tell you about my kid. My kid wants to be a farmer. We have all this new technology in our school, in our farming industry that he needs to learn. He's excited to learn, but yet he's in this public school. that's not giving him the, all the opportunities that, that he would really like to see in his education system. And I hear you saying that there's more of an opportunity for my kid. He could have more options where he'd have flexibility to work on the farm. He might could gain, gain credit from that. He might could go to school for part of the day and then, then go out here. He could do it differently. That's what I want to hear. I want to know that my kid can have options that align to him and what his talents are. And I tell that story all around. I mean, you, you've got farmers that are going, yeah, it makes sense to me that more options would be better. Why would you not allow me to make a decision for my child? It's impactful for all areas of states, but I wholly, and the data backs this up as well, reject the view that school choice somehow hurts um, rural America or rural schools. Love that. Well, Oklahoma State Superintendent of Public Instruction, Ryan Walters, thank you so much for talking with us today. And thank you for all that you're doing to advocate for students and for families in your state. Thank you very much. Appreciate the work you're doing. And thank you so much for having me on. We hope listeners found today's conversation informative and encouraging. If you enjoyed this episode of Students Over Systems, please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to share this episode with your friends. To learn more about the work of the IWF Education Freedom Center, please visit iwf.org EFC. Thank you for listening to Students Over Systems. Until next time, keep celebrating education freedom and brighter futures.